It's the Perry and Shauna podcast on the real life journey with you, reminding you that you are Abba's beloved child and that Jesus has called you into his massive mission to heal the world. So I was getting ready for a prayer service that we were having at our church. And in preparation, I just asked the Lord, is there any sin in my life? Because I don't want anything to be a hindrance to you hearing my prayers. You know what I mean? I want to I want to make sure that that we've cleared the air. And so I just sat in the quiet and asked God to reveal something. And he did. And I was grateful. And I repented, confessed, you know. And, and then I was like, Lord, is there anything else? And then he brought up something else. <laughs> I was like, okay, so we dealt with that. And then I was like, Lord, is there anything else? And he brought up something else. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Hmm. Like, literally, I did not know. I hadn't been asking the Lord to reveal stuff to me. And so I was, it's just, it's like I was walking in darkness. I, I wasn't aware of this sin in my life. Cause when I do know I've sinned against God, I hate that. Like I hate that. And I don't want anything between us. And so I'm pretty quick to confess when I know I've sinned. There was something this week and I just felt awful. I, re- I, you know, asked for forgiveness and asked for forgiveness and asked for forgiveness. And he was like, we already took care of that. You were good, you know? So I don't like it. But to walk around and not know that there was this stuff between us, I I don't like that. And he's not bringing it up to condemn us. Nope. To, but to draw us back into friendship with him. And yesterday, I was as I was leaving, you know, the building for the day, something came to mind that happened earlier in the day, something prideful that I had done. And I just, Lord, you know, forgive me. Cleanse me. Yeah. That was pride. Yep. Yeah, and he's so quick to forgive us. 1 John 1, 7 through 9 says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Love that. If we say we have no sin, hmm. we deceive ourselves, yep. and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. unrighteousness. I was rocking around in the dark. And he brought it into the light for me. And in the Old Testament, there were sacrifices that, that, you know, believers had to make for the sins that they didn't know they had committed. It's in Leviticus, you know, and, and the law lines it out. The job of the law was to reveal sin. And without the law, they might have taken sin, you know, more lightly. So the law reveals sin and tells us what needs to be done about it. God's law from the very beginning shows us a way out. Now listen to this, Romans 8, 3. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weaknesses, the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body, like the bodies that we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us. Come on. By giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Wow. He did so so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Man, we could spend a long time on that right there. No. Oh, the Word of God is just so good. But back to 1 John, right? The If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Beautiful. So good. So take a minute. I'm encouraging you just out of, you know, what I learned out of my own life. Take a minute today and just talk to God. Apologize for any known sin in your life and ask him to reveal any unknown sin and know this. He is faithful and he is just. Forgive us our sins 
and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you ever wonder why God loves you? I do, especially when I think of all the reasons God shouldn't love me. Sally Lloyd-Jones writes, Sally Lloyd-Jones writes in Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing, when you're thinking up a reason for something, like somebody asks you for your opinion or, you know, why do you do this or that? When you're thinking up a reason for something, do you ever say, just because? <laughs> That's a way of saying, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to, I don't want to do the work of answering your question. Just because. Leave me alone. It could be. God says, I love you just because. Hmm. He doesn't say, I love you because you're kind, or I love you because you're helpful, or I love you because you're getting good grades, or I love you because you got the promotion, or because you're a great parent, or I love you because you love me. Mm. God says, the reason I love you is I love you. If God loved you because you're kind, or you're a good parent, or you got the promotion, that means if you stop being kind didn't get the promotion, you're not that great of a parent, he'd stop loving you. Right. Or if he loved you because you loved him, what if you stopped loving him? God loves us just because. Well, I feel like that's the best just because ever. Right, right. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with that one. Okay. Yeah, and it's, you know, there's, I don't know why we, we wrestle with this. Like, I don't know why we battle this. Like, we need some kind of justification for why he loves us the way that he does. You know what I mean? We're the ones who who try to think we have to earn it or think that we might lose it and stress about that. And he doesn't. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. You know, and I think we can push this further. God loves us because he is love. Mm-hmm. He cannot not love. And Christianity is the only faith that makes the claim that God has always existed in a community of love. Yep. That he didn't need us. He didn't need to create us in order to be loved because God has always been one, but perfectly united with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This dance of love that we, we talk about, just praising one another, honoring one another, pouring love into one another, uh, encouraging one another and it's been going on forever Mm -hmm. and ever and ever and ever and ever and the reason so the reason god created everything god created the world out of love kind of like you know i mean two parents who who love each other and they have a child it's because they love Mm -hmm. and so god birthed the universe out of love and he he wanted to share this love that he has always had from eternity and that's why he created us. That it's such a great example. We have a a good friend that I had. He happens to be a pastor, and I had heard him teaching on this um, on a Sunday morning. And he just said, "You know, when my daughter was born, I wasn't like, well, you know, I didn't hold her in my arms and think, we'll see. She hasn't really done anything yet yeah. to make me love her. Right. I mean, that's just insane thinking, right? Like, your child is born, and you hold your child in your arms. There's this incredible, fierce." brand new, never experienced this before kind of love that you have for this person who's just needy. <laughs> you know, they just, yeah. they're just needy. That's all they bring to the table. And, you know, that's such a great example because 
that's all we bring to the fathers. We're just so needy. And he's like, but you're mine and I love you. And none of your neediness is a burden to me. Like it is my delight to provide for you, to hold you, to make home for you, you know, to be your safe place. Like that's what I want to be to you. That's who I want to be to you. Yeah. And then not only did he create us to share that love with us, but then he wants us to be like our father. He wants us to be like him. He, he makes us into little image bearers. You know, in Genesis 1, he, he, it says he formed, he formed Adam out of the ground with two hands. And, and it's like Adam was this statue. And then he breathed his life into the statue, and it came to life. Mm-hmm. And it's the love of God that did that. But he also, you know, breathed life into the statue, us, statues, representations of God so that we can be representations of God to the world. So why does God love you, Shauna? Just because. All right, there we go. (laughs) I'm good with it now. You convinced me. All right. Good job. Hey, that's my goal, to convince Shauna this morning. (laughs) Woo! I want to talk a little bit about having an eternal perspective. I think sometimes we get stuck in the moment that we're in and we need to be reminded that we get to live for all of eternity. And John 12, 25 says, anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And another translation of the same passage reads, the person who loves his life and pampers himself will miss true life. But the one who detaches his life from this world and abandons himself to me will find true life and enjoy it forever. Mm. And we are so naturally bent towards selfishness. You know, we want what we want and we want it right now. There's the whole YOLO, you only live once, just, you know, seize the day, grab it, live for yourself. I don't know, just this whole, you know, take care of number one self-serving way of life. It's entitlement is what it is. It's it's living with this mentality that I deserve and I should have what I want when I want it. But the way of Jesus is to surrender our own desires, this whole, you know, me first attitude and lifestyle to God's desires and his will. And it's not natural, but it is supernatural. It is how we're called to live. So natural life ends in death, but supernatural life lasts forever. When my kids were little, I homeschooled them, which was awesome. I absolutely loved homeschooling them. We did it for years, and it was some of the some of my most favorite years. And I got to be with my kids all the time. But the thing about homeschooling was, I got to be with my kids all the time, <laughs> like all the time, all the time. And uh, I had four kids, and they were seven and under. And I remember going to Walmart with all of my kids to get all the groceries and household supplies that we needed for a family of six. And we were right by this retirement community in Surprise, Arizona. And it just seemed like every single time I went to Walmart, you know, and I'm trying to get through the grocery shopping with all my children, somebody would say, enjoy this time. It goes by so quickly. And I just, for a moment, you know, think like, do you not remember how hard this is? Like, do you not remember that you don't get any sleep when you're, that you're a human jungle gym during this phase of life? Like, I can't remember the last time I went to the bathroom by myself and you're telling me to enjoy this time. I can't, I can't tell you how many times I was told that. And I took it seriously, hmm. you know, because I, 
I realized, I know it goes by fast. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to make the most of every moment. But you know what? It went by fast. It does it's go still, by fast. So, even, even when you're aware of it. Yes. Here's the thing. I'm beyond that season of life now. And I do remember thinking, you just don't remember how hard this is when I was in it. But now I'm one of those ladies who, you know, wants to stop the young mom at Target and go, sure. oh, you become her. <laughs> enjoy this time. I've become her, yep. right? You are her. And there is the, it's, it's perspective, right? I think, ah. Uh, it's hard for us to keep eternity in mind, but what if, you know, those moms, those wise moms know something that the young moms don't know? I'm just floating it out there, right? And, and what if in the same way, this scripture is revealing something that we can't see or that we don't know? There's a biblical wisdom here about self-denial and laying down our cross and not getting caught up in the world and its ways. And it, it may seem impossible, but maybe it's wisdom from someone who lives with eternity in mind. Well, it is. And this, this passage from Jesus messes with me. I just got to be honest. It messes with me. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And I wonder, do I get it? Hmm. Because the stakes are so high. And I've wrestled with this, and I think where I'm at is that, Jesus, you have the words of eternal life, and I'm following you. I, I don't know if I'm getting this right, but... I'm just going to follow you. Yeah. And show me show me what this means for my life. I think sometimes we get caught up in the like get up in the morning, the alarm goes off, you know, if he hit the floor, got to do the thing, head off to work, we got responsibilities to take care of. We can get into going through the motions and miss the fact that or just stop, just not be reflective. So that's my challenge for you today is just to think about it a little bit. Like, how are you living for today? How am I living for today? And what needs to change in your life for you to live with eternity in mind? Is there an adjustment that we can make personally that helps us to keep eternity in mind? Because true life, according to scripture, according to the Bible, is found in detaching your life from this world and abandoning yourself to Jesus. That's where life is found, here and now and forever. I was in a barren womb. I was in a stone-cold tomb. I was in a dungeon, in a cave. I was just a lifeless form after a vengeful storm, already dead for all my crimes. This sounds like lyrics. It is. That was my life apart from Jesus. Mm. I was reading John Greco's latest book, The Sword and the Spirit, and he got me thinking about how Jesus raises us from death to life. John says, It's not enough to jumpstart the synapses in the brain so they fire, or to wake the silent heart so that it begins pumping blood. To make a dead soul live, it needs the Spirit of God. Mm, That's good. The prophet Ezekiel saw this happen in a vision. God brought him into the middle of a valley filled with dry bones. The Israelites were like those bones, spiritually dead, with no hope of restoration because of their cold, selfish hearts. But then, look at this. Ezekiel starts prophesying, and the bones come together. Then tendons and muscle and skin wrap around the bones. 
Again, Ezekiel prophesies, and the Holy Spirit fills their lungs with the breath of life. The vision was God's promise that he would bring his people back to life, bring us back to life. Before Jesus, you and I were spiritually dead because of our sins, condemned, crushed by our sins, dead. But when we believed the gospel, that we are saved through the kindness of Jesus, through faith in his performance, and not faith in our performance, because we can't ever be good enough, but Jesus was good enough for us and died for us. When we believed the gospel, the Spirit gave us breath. We were rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son, and brought into the kingdom of the Son Abba loves. And now you're alive. I'm alive. We are walking miracles just as unlikely as a valley of brittle bones coming back to life. The air you breathe is God's spirit. The breath you breathe is God's breath. And when you share the gospel and live it out, the spirit Mm -hmm. breathes through you to resurrect your world. Yeah, you know, sometimes in the midst of this good news of, of God breathing life into our lives, sometimes we choose death. Sometimes I choose death. And the choices that I make every day, and you, you know, you just mentioned living it out. When we live it out, then other people get to experience the life and the breath of, of God as well. But I don't always choose that. Mm-hmm. It's so frustrating. No, we don't. And, but we need the Holy Spirit, you know, because we can't live it out in our own strength. And so a lot of times when I don't live it out, probably all the time when I don't live it out, I'm either not relying on the Holy Spirit or I'm grumpy and resisting the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Can't do it without yeah. the Holy Spirit's power. Here's something that I've learned about myself, and maybe this is reveals how much I rely on myself rather than calling on the Spirit's power. But when I'm really tired, when I get to the place of really tired, I don't have the resistance that I do when I'm really well rested. Mm-hmm. And I think we so underplay sleep, like, oh, for the love, you know, it's not that big of a deal. I, you have been a big part of teaching me this, how much sleep really is a big deal. But I literally am more likely to call on the power of God when I'm well rested. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds so simple. But I just, I look at my own life and the times when I fail, the times when my choices are not to rely on him and, and I sin against God, a lot of times I do it when I'm really physically tired and exhausted. And sometimes we don't have a choice. So there are times when we are really tired. Yeah. And I know I have learned to realize that I'm really vulnerable now, Lord, and I need you to help me. Yeah. I need you to fill me and help me to avoid doing the thing that comes really natural because I'm tired. Mm -hmm. That's what I do when I'm really tired too. But yeah, I do try to get to bed on time and get a lot of rest. Right. We can do that part, but I think we can pray and say, you know, breathe life into me today. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my bones feel dry Mm. and I need you. Breathe life into me today, Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's good. My bones feel dry Holy Spirit, breathe life into me. Holy Spirit, breathe life into us. Sue.
super excited to introduce you today to Noelle Brewer Yates. She is the president of World Help. It's a Christian humanitarian organization serving the physical and the spiritual needs of people in impoverished communities around the world. And during her tenure, she has spearheaded World Help's refugee crisis in Afghanistan and Ukraine, as well as fought for victims of modern slavery and sex trafficking. Noelle's got a passion for changing the face of missions to breathe new life into it and to invite people of faith into a new kind of kingdom work. She does a lot of traveling, does a lot of speaking. She is an author. She's the author of Awake, Doing a World of Good, One Person at a Time. And we're talking today about her newest book called Both. So tell us a little bit about where this book came from inside your heart. How did this get birthed in you and what made you decide to write Both? Yeah. Well, I've been involved in... um quote unquote mission work for what feels like nearly all of my life. My dad was involved in the work and I started traveling with him when I was about 12 years old. And I come from a long line of people in ministry and people involved in missions have a deep respect for the work. And I was able to see it firsthand at a very young age. But I found myself growing up in this work, you know, becoming an adult, working along my, my alongside my dad at the organization I now lead called World Help. And just becoming very unsettled. And um, I realized that one of the greatest tragedies I see in Christianity today is this belief that a person's spiritual condition is all that matters to God, Mm. that saving souls for heaven is more important than bringing God's kingdom to life on earth, that meeting people's physical needs and spiritual needs are aren't on the same team but yet we sort of make them options on this christian menu to choose from and one is humanitarianism and the other is what we would traditionally call missions and the truth is what i found i believe is that the the power was really found in both that Mm -hmm. was the reality that i was seeing playing out in this work I had been doing for years. And I wondered what if it could really be about both? What if we didn't have to choose? Because what I've seen throughout my life is when you meet someone's physical needs and spiritual needs, that's when true transformation happens. And that's really the the message of my book and the message of World Help. We, We believe in what we call help for today and hope for tomorrow. And to us, that means without things like food and clean water and medicines that our body needs, that faith can mean very little. But without faith that really feeds our souls, all those things are a short-term fix. But when you focus on both body and soul, that's when lives are changed. I feel like that's what we see Jesus do all throughout the Gospels. It's the way, yes. He didn't start with the the good news message. He started with their very felt need. He even asked the question, what do you want me to do for you? Right, right. He always met people where they were, and he always met their physical needs first and met them with compassion. And, you know, as I talked to some people about this book, um, you know, to some people, I think they think this, this is so obvious. You know, yes, this is the way Jesus taught us, but... But it's also interesting to me how easy it is as Christ followers to forget that Mm. and place the emphasis on something that, you know, I, I don't think Jesus ever intended. Noelle, take us inside a story where we see 
world help, meeting physical needs, and also bringing the hope of Jesus' eternal life. Yeah. So one of my favorite stories to, to point back to, and by the way, the book is full of stories. I, I That's how I love to write. Um, but in the early years of world help, I was traveling with my dad in Eastern Europe, and we visited this hospital. It was a cancer hospital. And it was the leading cancer hospital there at the time with the best doctors in the area. But yet this hospital literally had nothing. They were using straws for tracheotomies. They were hand washing the latex gloves at night and hanging them up to dry to use the next day. The medicine cabinets were empty. It was awful. And it was a really hard visit because my dad is a cancer survivor. And so a cancer hospital in this state was the last place he wanted to be. And people in this area were basically sent to this hospital to die. So on this visit, we were able to meet the head doctor there at the time. His name was Dr. Moxon. And he asked my dad if there was anything we could do to help. And my dad promised him that we would. Hmm. And we were able to go home and through donated uh, humanitarian aid and gifts in kind, we were able to send 13 ocean going containers over a few years to cancer hospital number 62 is what it was called. Hmm. And I was there one day when one of those shipments arrived. And I remember doctors and uh, and medical personnel running out of their rooms, ripping the boxes open to grab something that they needed for the procedure or surgery, whatever they were doing right then. It was wow. incredible. And on that visit, the doctor came up to me, Dr. Moxon, and he said, young lady, I want you to give your dad a message. He said, I want you to tell them, tell him that you are the first Americans to ever keep their promise to us powerful words. Yeah. But you fast forward a few years later, after all those 13 shipments had gone. And my dad was there this time. And Dr. Moxon came up to my dad and he said, you know, at first I did not believe your faith. He said, but now I have seen your faith in action. Mm -hmm. I now accept your faith. And to me, that's the, the best example of what I'm talking about of help and hope and meeting both. And they don't always happen at the same time. But there's this great uh, quote I like from an African head of state. And he said, you can't do health care to dead people. You can't mm. educate dead people. You can't minister to dead people. You've got to have them alive first. And so I think so often, especially in a time like crisis, like we're seeing all around the world, you go and meet people where they are, just like Jesus did, meet those incredible physical needs. Both hungers matter to God, right. the spiritual hunger and the physical hunger. And that's when you begin to see help and hope, uh, the power of help and hope come to life. Noel, what does a lemon tree have to do with somebody coming alive to Jesus? I am so glad you asked. It's <laughs> one of my favorite stories in the book. To set it up, though, I want to, I want to tell you real quick about um, another favorite part of the book. So I talk in the book about this devotional I read that stuck with me. And in the devotional, it said how in the Gospels, Jesus used the word save or saved less than 10 times. But by contrast, he referred to his coming kingdom more than 150 times. And it went on to say that the gospel should not just be good news for our souls. It should be good news for the world. And gosh, that just like rocked mm -hmm. my world and feeds into this story. So during the pandemic, I was able to travel to Zambia. And um, I was able to see this community. We're working in a rural community living in extreme poverty. I mean, their lives were hard before the pandemic and the pandemic just sent everything into overdrive. 
But while I was there, I was able to meet this family, the husband and wife, Bruce and Malika, beautiful family. I sat there, they're holding their children and I'm talking to them and behind them is their home. And what looks like to me a home in in need of a lot of repair that they don't really have much, but you would have never known that talking to them. They spoke with such pride about what they had and they across the street from their house and across the road was an empowerment center that the World Health family has helped support. And through that empowerment center, they've received all the resources that they need to survive during the pandemic. And they've created this life. They had a garden and they had clean water and they were raising rabbits. And not only did they speak with pride, but he was praising God Mm -hmm. uh, for the help they had received. And, you know, they just look talking to them. I was like, they had become a beacon of hope in this community of extreme poverty of what is really possible. And before we left that day, after spending so much time with them, Malika, the wife came up to me and she handed me this little plant and she wanted me to plant it in front of the empowerment center to kind of commemorate our visit, Mm -hmm. had no idea what I was holding and found out that I was planting a lemon tree. And it was such a special moment. And I read later that the early Christians thought of the lemon tree as a sign of hope, Mm. hope for the future. Wow. And I, I realized in that moment that it it wasn't about the handouts. It wasn't about the aid. It wasn't necessarily about the clean water. It's about hope and how our lives are absolutely destroyed without it mm. and absolutely transformed with it. Mm. And so many times we're investing um, in a future that we can't see. That's really what hope is all about. And I think so much of the work and and the stories that I share in the book and so much of the challenge that I want to give people is to make sure that the gospel we're sharing is not just good news for our souls, doesn't just make sense in the safety of our homes and churches, but that that gospel is really good news for the world and is giving them the hope that they need. Thanks for letting Barry and Shauna walk the real life journey with you. The content from the Perry and Shauna podcast comes from their live show, Perry and Shauna Mornings on 89.3 Moody Radio, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Reach out to us by texting 800-968-8930 and please subscribe.